Hey everyone, this is a prologue to our prologue, which was requested by Mr. Ryan Nelson. <laughs> no, no. A prologue to our prologue. The prequel no, to this. The, there's the prologue, and then no, there's the introduction, and then there'd be the prologue. <laughs> and then, well, you've got your four. What is it? What is it called the forward? <laughs> and so. Is it a prologue? Is it a foreword? Is it an introduction? I don't know which part it was that we recorded. <laughs> what do I say before all of the other things so that they know what we're going to say? <laughs> no, you've already said it. We're good. Are you sure? Yes, because that was the introduction. Because you told us we're going to be silly and loose this time, and then you immediately went dark and introspective. I didn't mean to. You <laughs> did imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influenced the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. Welcome back, theoryologists. I have a very special guest today in studio, in person, live, live for me, the indomitable N.K. Cranda. Those of y'all that are longtime listeners are familiar with N.K. Uh, she has joined us before as we've had our discussion of the episode of Story Keepers and our learning of experience or research as well as a more recent episode during the <laughs> early on in 2020 with the quarantine period and our quarantine quiet time episode. But this time is not about quiet time. This episode is going to be uh, actually a two-parter episode. And that's because it's always a surprise with NK. Um, and, and we've had a good afternoon of talking about this because um, it started, it actually started with our first interview, what, two years ago. And the concept of awakening, um, had, had come up and it's a fascinating topic and one that I've always wanted to introduce on the show, but it is definitely a topic that is, is, um, more esoteric than most as a word, just even the word awakening. Uh, in the, exactly in, in context of, of, of everything that it can mean and, and it's popular usage. Can you imagine if you were a necromancer and someone said they were dead inside? Then you'd have an awakening you and you would put them to work. Could you reanimate their will to live? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies the rub with the term awakening. What do we talk about? But after uh, after this year that we have had after 2020, it was time to take a break from all of the seriousness, all of the, the way too focused discussion on everything that can be conspiratorial and, and take 2021 and have a good time. Start with a good time. We will get back to the, uh, the, uh, dark and, and dreary and foreboding and all of that. 
Um, and we will spend some more time hunting ghosts and exploring uh, UFOs because that's fun too. But right now we're going to kick off the year and we're going to have a good time. Um, are you ready for a good time, NK? I'm so ready. <laughs> uh, okay. If you're wondering if he wears the Tama Shanter during recording, he does all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I Those that have probably hopped on and watched a video or two on uh, the Facebook page probably seen it. I wonder if you exist without it. Can you both exist in the same place, like at different times? Um, I also have a knit cap. What? But is that me? I don't know. Now I'm all nihilistic and stuff. It's 2020. It's, yeah. Stop it. No, it's not 2020. I started this off. Yeah, it's an existential crisis already. This is the this is the second effort at recording, uh, because <laughs> I because I took us into dark places. We, we don't want to be in dark places. We want to be we want to be happy. We want to be happy. And I and how often do I actually get one someone period in here at all, and to have like the best visitor option period. Uh, so this is fun. This is. I know. I'm housebroken. I did all this research. I'm hijacking your podcast with my interview. I don't have to do any editing work. I just get to make smart-ass remarks. I'm happy. <sighs> well, okay, so that kicks it off. That's perfect. And I enjoy that stuff, so that's fun. But that kicks off what we're actually doing uh, besides goofing around. Although we could have an entire episode of Goofing Now. We probably will have some more of those in 2021 now that I think about it. Um, put that on the calendar. But uh, what are we talking about, right? This concept of awakening and this challenge that first came up really hit me again. And it was because of a, uh, a, a post you had on Facebook and a story you were telling. And it got me thinking that this is the time. This is, this is when we need to talk about this, um, this concept of, of change, of new perspective, of, um, maybe new perception and understanding and however literal or figurative that needs to be viewed for somebody um, on a personal basis, how much of that perspective and perception uh, needs to change. Correct. And with this interview with Jim Denning, one of the things that he told me off, uh, off mic was that, you know, you should never wait too long to start living your life. And all of this work that I've been doing, you know, the quiet work, the work in the dark, which I really love, you know, this book that I'm writing, it's going to take a long time to do it right. And there's so many people that need help now that I wanted to take this theory that I had about trauma and experiencers. And I wanted to talk to someone that was really upbeat, was really passionate and knew what they were talking about. And I, I just want to get the information out there because I, I think that despite our witty banter and uh, Jim and I going back and forth and you going back and forth. There's some fascinating information in there. There's some excellent science. There's some uh, philosophical stuff. There's religious stuff. There's witticisms. Um, it's a really great way for us to kick off this whole activation and awakening. Absolutely. And see, and there you go. This is what NK is bringing to the table. Seriously. Um, and that's what makes this great. I could have pulled up uh, some articles and you and I could have discussed uh, how to define awakening. And we could have gone through the benefits, some of the aspects, come up with examples, come up with ways to, to, to do it. Or, or is it a benefit? Is it, and what's maybe even happening? Um, just didn't want to take drugs and do yoga guys. I tried, <laughs> but, but instead, instead we've got, um, 
the discussion has been one-upped for the better. Okay, so this is going to be a two-part episode. And that is because, as NK just mentioned, she has brought us an interview. And this is an interview that she had the opportunity to, uh, to conduct. Um, and we have a premiere. It gets to premiere here on Conspiracy Theoryology. And it is a perfect platform, a jumping point, jumping off point for us to discuss so much of this. It, but but this, uh, this interview is just chock full of information. And while it's it's long, obviously this episode is going to be longer than um, than some. It's it goes by really fast. I I sat down and listened to this interview this morning, and it was so good and informative that I didn't even realize that the the whole time had passed. So this is phenomenal, and it will you know if you're as you're listening to it, I guess the best thing to do is to. One, just listen. If you have time to, or the opportunity to think of it in a note-taking aspect of it, do it. If you're commuting, if you're at work, if you're busy, just listen to it um, and try and catch things that are coming from it. Uh, but but understand that we're not just talking about a, uh, it's not just about ne- neurology, neuroscience, psychology, uh, uh, therapy, these are all aspects, but we're really looking at this from a next step. All of these things are parts of a broader perspective, and a um, and once once we're done with it, once they listen to this, then the next episode will pick up with our thoughts and our discussions on this, um, and and primarily in case there's some tremendously uh, valuable perspective that I think that she offers here. And then also we'll, we'll glean a bit, uh, from yes, Jim Denning, Jim yeah, Denning, Denning from uh, the Denning center, from the Denning center, live from the Denning center. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so this, this is, this is great. So again, um, so much more than just a discussion on awakening. There seems to be a better, there seems to be a better term. There seems to be a better approach and a different perspective. So uh, for now, I'm going to let NK set up and introduce this interview, and then it will get started right after that. Um, and, um, you know, until then, until the next episode, uh, just, just think about it and we'll be back to finish it up and to explore everything that was talked about and and give you some of our own thoughts and suggestions. No not suggestions, thoughts, perspectives. Yeah. We're just going to have a fun discussion. We're going to continue the fun and excitement. Such fun and excitement. Such fun and excitement. All right. It's all yours. Yeah. So first of all, my name is NK Cranda. I am an experiencer, researcher, and preservationist. And I've been writing a book on and off for the past two years while I'm also doing preservations um, of regular people who have seen something weird. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but I've done everything from religious miracles to UFOlogy to the paranormal and then some, especially near-death experiences. And when Mr. Denning approached me uh, a couple years ago about awakening and how all of this really got started and what was the catalyst to all these experiences that I was preserving, it was something I had to think about. You know, I had a theory, but it was a loosely working theory, and uh, we discussed it a little bit. And I got the opportunity to sit down with Mr. Jim Denning of the Denning Center, 
He's a counselor in San Antonio, and he specializes in ART, which is accelerated resolution therapy. And that is basically turning um, trauma into information. And it's using articulated eye movements and hand movements. And he's taking you to a specific spot. And essentially, it was throwing two chaotic neutrals into a room that both like Star Wars and there was some magnificent science that happened from there. So I asked Mr. Denning, his two master's degrees and his Mensa membership, what he thought about my theory, which was that the catalyst between an experience or starting their experiences and having these uh, sensitivities happen to them was trauma that usually went hand in hand in my preservations 80 to 90% of the time. There was some perceived trauma, no matter how young or how old they were. And then the experiences started to act up even more afterwards, whether they were there presently to begin with or whether they weren't, the trauma seemed to expand upon that. And I knew why as far as, you know, emotional intelligence goes and the fact that I talked to so many people a year, but I really wanted the scientific terminology behind it. I wanted to know which parts of the brain that we were working with. And uh, he was just the perfect guy for that. And that was an absolutely fascinating aspect of the discussion. I, you know, one of my favorites. So we've talked about this at length, even bef before recording. Uh, that's the connection, this call it this mind, body, spirit connection that this conversation really provides is, is fascinating. Yes. You know, it's enjoyable. It's great. It puts so many pieces together for those that uh, lean heavily on the neuroscience aspect of of these sort of ex experiences um while not just trying to discount it entirely as a neurological biological function your neurochemical function there's there is more to it there is more to an experience and um we're just beginning it sounds like to understand how we process those Yes. And uh, anytime that you can sit in a chair with someone and be as excited as they are and go, okay, I have this theory, say big words at me, and then they do, and you have a great time, do it. Because it, it, was, it was a wonderful learning opportunity and uh, it really wet my science noodle, which is something I love. I love to do my own research first and then see if science kind of backs it up. So yeah, without further ado, this is Miss N.K. Cranda and Mr. Jim Denning, and we are interviewing today on trauma and experiences. Do you have consent and request to be recorded today? Sure, yes. Do you consent to have a conversation about some of the things that I work with and some of your knowledge? Yes. I realize that you are not in fact a MD or medical professional, but you do have two master's degrees, yes? Yes. In what? Ministry and counseling. Awesome. How long have you been a counselor? Six years. Six years? Yeah. What is your primary focus in counseling? Depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction, basically how the brain works. Awesome. I'm an experiencer, researcher, and preservationist, and I have a theory that I'd like to discuss with you for my book. Okay. And if possible, I'd like to cite you in my book. Yay. Yay? <laughs> you can cite that too. Yes, I would also like to cite your book, Making yes. the Midnight in my book. Yes. I thought it was great. So, I have a theory, and it's something that I've heard about before. So I know that mm. this exists, but I don't know how to put it into big brain terms of, this is the way the brain works, this is how it's constructed, Constructed. this is yeah. the thing that happens to make the thing thing. So I just like to think of it in a way of like radio wires. Right. So 
I have this theory that when a person goes through a trauma, mm -hmm. I know that their brain will physically rewire the neurons to surpass that damage of trauma. Right. Because the brain's only job is to keep you safe. Right. So what does that mean when that's happening? Like a person has something traumatic happen to them, like a car accident or a near-death experience. Right. So the brain has two hard drives in it, the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex. So the hippocampus is the emotional hard drive. Yeah. And so if you look at it kind of like filtering maybe a water system or something like that, external stimuli hits the thalamus. So sight, sound, taste, touch goes through the thalamus. Uh, smell goes through a different place. But anything, anything and everything that happens, sight, sound, taste, touch, hits the thalamus. The thalamus goes to the hippocampus and says, have we seen this before? The hippocampus, yes or no. If it says yes, and it was a bad thing, then there is an emotional reaction, fight or flight. Okay. If it says, yes, we have seen this before, and no, it's not a big deal, i.e. if you pull up to a red light, your hippocampus is like, seeing red lights, haven't had a wreck at a red light, we're good. No real emotional response, you take the whatever thing. Now, <clears throat> let's say the same red light, you're driving to work, you stop at a red light, you get rear-ended. Okay, from then on, your hippocampus, that first hard drive, says red lights are bad. Very, very simple thing. So every time you pull at a red light, you're going to have a fight-or-flight response, depending if the red light is the one you got hit at or in Schenectady, New York. It's irrelevant. And so what your brain does is we, as humans, animals have the same setup. They don't have the prefrontal cortex the same as we do. So animals will just be like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. So I had a dog named Ted. Uh, at some point, I had Ted for 11 years. I think it was two when I got him. Ted hated children. If you were under six years old, he was going to try to bite you. Okay, Ted will never rewire out of that. From the day I got him to the day he died, Ted hated children because a child did a bad thing. So his brain said, children bad. Okay, humans have the discernment to say, this particular child did a bad thing to me. Cow one is not cow two. Correct. And so we, but we still have the quick emotional reaction. So if we're at the aforementioned stoplight, we stop, we get nervous, and then we can say, oh, wait a minute. This stoplight is not the stoplight I got hit at. I'm okay. Over time, per P.F. Skinner, which or B.F. Skinner, which is in Pavlov, which is the condition response thing, there's a mechanism called extinction. So every time I go to that red light and don't get hit, that reinforcement weakens. And then over time, that's the rewiring that's... Now, there are certain traumas that are so egregious, they actually alter our behavior. And we don't rewire out of those. Correct, because most <clears throat> people that go through a horrific trauma become... Olympic-worthy championship avoiders of that trauma. But it is not, they are they are circumventing it, not recovering from it. Correct. So when they do circumvent around it, you know, going back to the radio and rewiring that right. part of the brain, they don't even know that they're doing it most of the time. No, because most people are of the perception that we have one brain, one hard drive, even though everybody I've ever met has an internal dialogue. But we have, so the, the hippocampus is the emotional hard drive, the hype, I mean, the, yeah, the hippocampus is the emotional hard drive. The prefrontal cortex is the logical hard drive. And so what they're doing is, yeah, they come to the stoplight or whatever the horrific trauma is. And they're like, okay, this is really scary. How do I avoid it? Now, the avoidance is still fight or flight. Yeah. I want to avoid this thing. Mm -hmm. So they never get past the hippocampus into the information stuff. They just do things to avoid that trauma over and over again. Or flip side, which is the bad part, is if, say, a child grows up in a narcissistic home or an abusive home, 
that is what they acclimate to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so from zero to six, your brain is growing. At six to 25, your brain is acclimating to your environment. And so if the trauma happens between, we'll say, you know, birth and 15 years old, your brain will acclimate to that trauma and seek similar things. So if you're raised by a narcissist, a lot of times you will end up with a narcissist. Correct. You know, because that is what that part is. There are people when I was, I bartended for years, and there are people who came into a bar looking for drama because that's where they're comfortable. And so a lot of times, rather than avoid the trauma, they actually generate an environment that makes them feel comfortable because they feel comfortable in the trauma. Yeah, in the drama. Yeah. That makes sense. So I have this theory that when something happens to a person that is traumatic, say a near-death experience or a car accident or some kind of major stress that I think just kind of shifts your worldview, even just a little bit, Yeah. that that manual rewiring that goes on in the brain and the neurons to kind of maybe avoid that spot mm-hmm. or, you know, neural, yeah. neural pathways, you yeah. said. So that that kind of rewiring, in a way, opens up your brain to other senses that maybe it wasn't open to mm-hmm. before. Going back to the radio analogy, that sometimes when you rewire a radio, you can get different frequencies right. and different channels. So a lot of my experiencers, the people that see things that are weird, you mm-hmm. know, it, it often goes hand in hand. Yeah. You know, they'll come to me and say, I saw a UFO. I saw a ghost. I saw this. I saw that. And I say, okay, well, let's go back to the beginning. You know, what was it like before you saw this? They saw a horrific car accident. Their mm-hmm. parents got divorced. Um, they almost died. You know, a lot of the times the experience is accompanied directly after or sometimes just after, you know, that traumatic experience, mm-hmm. that brain rewiring, rewiring itself, and now they can see all of these things. But then unfortunately, so many adults and everyone else disregard them seeing all of those things as you're young, you're just stressed out, you've been through a big deal, yeah. you know, ghosts aren't real, monsters aren't real, go back right. to sleep. And that one, to me, I think would be equated to say that, you know, if I were to lose my eyesight, the part of my brain, the neurons that control vision will then be actually rewired to hearing, tasting, touching. They, the same neurons will take on a new job. Yeah. And there's so much about the brain we don't understand that it actually follows really well that if something that is a near-death experience happens, you know, junk DNA, unawakened thing, you know, things we don't understand in the brain, they actually start coming up and start coming into, you know, like neurons that we don't have names for that actually are, well, we've talked about the auric field. Yeah. Where your auric field actually expands to protect you from damage. Absolutely. You know, it's not, it's, you know, inflammation is our body protecting us from further damage. Correct. You know, I stubbed my toe real bad the other day and it is, you know, big and purple and inflamed and all that stuff. It's, it's creating a bubble around itself. So if there's an experiencer that's got a bubble that, say, goes out six inches, okay, well, if they have a near-death experience, then that will be turned up to, you know, okay, now you're seeing things that are in a broader spectrum. Correct. And unfortunately, some of the time, not all of those experiences are positive. They Mm -hmm. can be negative and scary, and we don't understand what they are. And then, just like you said, they go through that acclimatization process of, well, this is just my new normal, and they... Don't talk about it because yes. there's too much, uh, what's the word? Well, there's skepticism. There is skepticism and there's also, uh, like, like there's stigma. Yeah. There's too much stigma for people to be able to talk in a healthy way about, you know, being abducted by UFOs, you know, being hurt by one of these beings, you know, right. seeing something. 
that was one of the things that I talked about on my podcast was that I had been sexually assaulted. I said, there were federal programs to get me therapy. Mm. I could talk about it whenever I wanted. You know, I could get scholarships for school. I could get childcare. I said, for a person that's gone through this type of trauma from a phenomenon that we don't understand, they're going through that same process and they have no one to talk to. Yeah. They can't even talk about it. And I said, that's the loneliest existence I can imagine. And it's, and, and I'm probably at some point was that person I remember is, I think it was 2005, 2006. I think I told you about this. I was riding in a car with a friend of mine and we were driving down the street, just coming back from lunch. And we took a, a curve and it was an S curve. And as we took the first part of the curve, my energy, my whatever, my chi, my aura, anyway, my consciousness, consciousness separated from my body and went outside of the car. And then it was about two seconds and I'm like, wait, I'm not in the car anymore. And then it slammed back in. And nothing extraordinary, nothing happened, but that convinced me at that point, there is stuff we don't understand. Absolutely. And it's it's almost identical to mental illness stigma is, you know, I'm, you know, six foot, 200 pounds in decent shape, look fairly normal, I think. I don't look like somebody who's depressed, suicidal, anxiety, all that stuff. So if I have depression and anxiety, people will not understand it because they'll look at me like, you look fine. Yeah. What do you have to be depressed about? You're very high functioning as well. Oh yeah, extremely. And it's, what do you I, have to be depressed about? Right. Yeah, you're you're great. And so if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I saw a shadow figure at the foot of my bed, my first response is, wow, tell me more about that, because why would I? I, I, I don't understand not believing it. That's what I can't comprehend. Is I saw a thing. You can't recover fully from the thing, and you can't fight the thing if you can't believe it's happening. Right. And so many people can't get past that stumbling point of, I can't believe it's happening, and I don't want to believe it's happening. But yet there's a thing standing at the foot of my bed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. And so it's like, okay, you you know, and that's why I love, I love Travis Walton. Because he's basically of the attitude of, this is what happened. I really don't care if you believe it or not. It happened to me. Here's my story. And he just puts it out. So that's the difference, I guess, between hippocampal, uh, information and prefrontal cortex information is I can't believe this. I can't comprehend this. I, that's hippocampus. I feel that is not correct. You know, but if you came to me and said, you know, I was abducted by aliens, this thing happened and it really freaked me out. I'd be like, I just, I would take that as okay. That happened. I don't need to bring my belief system into this thing. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's why would I not believe you? But that is the world we live in, unfortunately. What's that quote by him that you like? It's, um, to somebody who's experienced it, no evidence is necessary. And to somebody who haven't, no evidence is enough. Correct. Yeah. I, ha- I had a train of thought there and now it's gone. Well, I no, I just, I think you're, you're correct. I don't see any reason why human physiology. Yeah. Yes. So I was going to ask you, you do ART, yes? Yes. That is a form of therapy. And we've mentioned before that it's taking trauma and emotions and pain and turning it into information for the brain to process. Correct. Can you explain that a little more? Yeah. So our brains, so let's say that, you know, you were, you know, you had a bad car accident or something like that. And your hippocampus has established that red lights are bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you're afraid every time you get in front of a red light, what we do is generate a scenario in your brain where the red light is no longer a danger passed through the red light, everything was fine. Your hippocampus doesn't know that that's not true. Mm -hmm. So we're generating a dream. Your hippocampus is like, oh, okay, green lights are okay now. So it 
allows that information to pass through. Like I said, the hippocampus is the gatekeeper. And what happens is when we are triggered, there's a series of neurotransmitters that fires. And when they fire, they can't, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Mm -hmm. So you've got to stop the firing of the neurotransmitters, which is done by converting emotional information into information information. Right. And it's no longer, so we convince the hippocampus, this particular thing is no longer a danger. Correct. But you still keep the knowledge that the wreck happened. It's just you don't have the trigger. Okay. There's a fascinating article, just back to what you were talking about. Um, <clears throat> there was a fascinating article I read years ago, and I have to dig for it. But it talks about how baseball players are actually, have this very highly attuned system that you're talking about. They start swinging the bat before the pitch is completed. Yes. Which means they know where the ball will be before the ball leaves the pitcher's hand. Yes. And that's not possible unless your hypothesis is true. Right. And it's just because they spend so many hours in repetition, repetition, repetition. There's a video, I'm sure you've seen it on the internet or a GIF, where the baseball player is talking to a, uh, a reporter and the ball's hit. And without looking, he reaches his hand up and catches it right before it hits her in the head. I've seen it. Okay. That is an example of that. Martial artists, too. Yes. They know how to react before they can even process what kind of hit is coming at them. There was a, a episode of Superhumans, Stan Lee's Superhumans, mm -hmm. where there was a guy with a sword, and somebody was shooting an airsoft BB at him. And he draws the sword and cuts the airsoft BB in half in flight. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that with calculus. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there is much more going on, but people are... They, for lack of a better phrase, quantum trapped. If I can't see it in three-dimensional space and, you know, four-dimensional time, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I don't agree. And that's another issue with the experiencers I have is that I know I sent you an email today. Yeah. Uh, just going through some of my, my general traumas that I had been through. Like, this is just something that had happened to me over and over again. And if you read it, it kind of sounds like a work of fiction. It's so awful, people yeah. almost don't want to believe it. Yeah, because it changes their paradigm. Yeah. It hits their hippocampus and says, all right, I don't want to believe the world has that kind of cruelty in it. Yeah. I don't want to believe a mother could behave that way. Right. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I think a lot of people are struggling with their pain that, you know, say a UFO or a ghost or whatever does happen. They try to approach someone that they trust, mm -hmm. and then that person either can't believe it or doesn't want to believe it because they don't want to think that those things are possible and that they're hurting someone they care about. Yeah. So how, why do people automatically jump to, you know, I really don't think that happened. I think that it's, you're probably just imagining things. It was probably just a really bad nightmare. You know, you should yeah. just don't think about it anymore. Well, they, their natural thing is that they can't, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of balance and fairness and how those things work in the brain. And with their brain, they can't process, they don't believe that thing exists. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they're going to guard that belief. It's more about guarding their own belief system. Because if their belief system, which they've spent their entire life putting together, is called into question, what else is called into question? Right. Okay, I, you know, wait, you mean there's things flying around that we can't see that I can't control? I'm not cool with that. And the other thing is just a touch of arrogance. Yeah. If I haven't seen it, it doesn't exist. Right. You know, and we get that, again, a lot with the mental health field is if I walk into a hospital and I am bleeding profusely, everybody, because they can see it. I can see that, oh, I can see this thing. You're bleeding all over the place. We need to help you. If I walk into that same hospital as me, perfectly healthy, saying, I am suicidal, I want to end my life, you're going to get a look of, why? What? I don't, I don't believe you. Convince me you are having this problem. 
Yeah. And they will do the exact same things. It will be, you know, what do you have to be oppressed about? Just think, happy. you have it so much better than everybody else. Right. And it's just a, it's, and I quit fighting that battle. I just know who I can say these things to. I know there are people in my life that I say, if I call them up and say, dude, I was abducted by an alien and I was gone for, you know, what was, I was watching a Twilight Zone where, yeah, the guy was gone for like a week and he came back and his wife's like, aren't you leaving? Because he had been gone, like he had walked away and walked back. It, yeah, it was three seconds for her. Yeah. But it was a week for him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, D- I just, I went through this whole thing. And she's like, what? You just walked out of here like five minutes ago. You know, it was just very, and you just, it's the validation. Validation is, I think, the most important thing in human experience. Yeah. If you come into me and say, I'm having this episode, I'm having this thing, I, and I don't understand what this thing is, all I'm going to say is, I am so sorry, sweetie. What do you need? What can I, the validation is it. I don't, whether you got abducted by aliens or not, I don't want it to happen, but whether it happened or not has no impact on me. So I have no reason not to be empathetic and sympathetic. Right. And that's a big cornerstone of my work is I always say, you know, honor yourself because you survived. Yes. No matter what happened to you, no matter what you did in order to get yourself through that, to be here, you know, honor that person that that happened to. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't do that and they get, they get very emotional. I say, you know, if, if they didn't go through that and if you didn't do everything you needed to do to survive, you wouldn't be here right now telling me this story. And that makes a lot of people cry. People in the, you're, they can't see it, but you're sitting on my couch. Yeah. Okay. I have a lot of clients that come in here who I've never met. First time I see them. As soon as their butt hits the couch, they start crying because somebody's going to listen. Yeah. I think that that's all people really want is just, can you please listen to me? Please don't try to put a label on this or tell me that I'm crazy or tell me what's going on. Can you please just listen to me about this thing that Mm -hmm. happened to me? It was weird. I don't understand. And more often than not, I have to tell them, you know, sometimes there is no why. Yes. Sometimes there is no why. Sometimes we can't explain away what happened to you. I can't answer all your questions, but I can be here for you and I can witness what you're going through and believe you because I'm an experiencer too. Yeah. And I, I mean, imagining where, you know, the sleep paralysis and the old hag and all of those things that come into play. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I get so mad. There was, uh, I was, I can't remember what show I was watching, but watching people, doctors, you know, Harvard physicians explaining, well, it is merely sleep paralysis and it is this. And it's like, don't say merely. If I'm laying in bed and I can't move and I see something coming to get me, I don't care if it's a hallucination. I'm freaked. Yeah. And I want somebody to be like, wow, dude, that sucks. Yeah. What do you need? What can we do? How can we make this go away? And most of the time, there's nothing to do. It's just, I want somebody to say, I went through a trauma, irrelevant what the trauma is. I went through a trauma. I want somebody to say, I am sorry you went through that trauma. Just the validation is all I need. Right. In correlation with that, with what we were talking about before, about acclimatization. Yeah. Um, so there's there's two peaks when it really comes to an experiencer's lifetime. It's when you are a little kid mm-hmm. from zero to six and when you are older i'm going to say about 65 or above yeah and when i did my training as a ufologist we were taught to consider those particular groups of witnesses as discredible that they were going to make things up that they're that they couldn't be trusted that they would see things mm. that they would be attention seeking and i was horrified i think it's the exact opposite me too okay so obviously it's it's almost like somebody explained <clears throat> it to me this way that There is a source, whatever it is, our source in the universe. When you're young, you're closer to that source than you are when you're in your 20s. Yes. 
So you're more open to seeing those things because no one ever told you you're not supposed to see them. And there's an additional thing. So uh, fascinating uh, book I read from, uh, oh, the, God, the astrophysicist that's the ufologist that did all the Roswell stuff. Um, Stanton Friedman. Stanton Friedman. Uh, yeah. Stanton Friedman wrote a book, When Science Was Wrong. Yeah. And he wrote it for this particular purpose because everybody's like, well, science says, well, science says, well, screw you. Here's a book that says when science was wrong. And here's all the places where science was wrong. Mm -hmm. So one of them is about the Zodiac. Yeah. And he talks about how solar radiation during the different times of the year and the different phases of the planets affects a baby's brain when they're born because they don't have a skull. Yeah. Okay. So they are more susceptible to the source, which in this case is solar radiation it impacts their brain, it imprints on their brain, that radiation does, and starts kind of dictating roughly their personality. That's why certain people from, you know, that's why the zodiac and, and astrology exists. People dismiss astrology as, oh, that's just silly. Like, no, there's, Stanton Friedman's like, no, here is the science. We just didn't know that before. Yeah. You know, so I think people, again, you know, 20, 30,000 years ago are way smarter than we are. Yeah. Because they had to survive. Not only, you had to actually go chase down food and not be and not be food and be a philosopher. Yeah. So the stuff you came up with to stay alive, you know, watching the uh, you know the equinoxes and everything and getting that takes some intelligence. Yes, and I think that you know, especially when they're young, and you know, people are told you know monsters aren't real. Just go back to Gibbet. This yeah. isn't real. That isn't real. There's so much discount of what kids see that they have been acclimatized to not see it anymore and not care about it. And yeah. so we spend much of our, our 20s to our 60s being blind and dumb and miserable, being human beings and going through the grind and everything yeah. else. And then when we're older, it's kind of like, well, I'm retired now. All of these problems, you know, I've been through them already and they don't mean that much now. And then the activity starts picking up again once they're closer to their death. Yeah. And I have some of the most fascinating conversations I've had were where people were on their deathbed. Yeah. And they weren't on drugs or anything. They were just talking because they didn't give a shit and they were going to die. There yeah. was no reason to, there was no <laughs> That's reason free. to, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what is it that, you know, that the very, very young people have and the very, very old people have that gives them this window into the opportunity to see? So you can't, well, you can see it, but nobody else can see it. This is just my hypothesis off the cuff. Okay. okay. So there's three parts of the prefrontal cortex, which is where information is stored. Dorsolateral, orbital frontal, and ventromedial. Okay. Okay. So the dorsolateral, which is this one, the top one. Dorsolateral, the one that says do. That is the one that you are doing something. Mm -hmm. Okay. So from, you know, we'll say middle school till retirement, we have things on our plate. We are doing things. Yeah. We are in the middle. So our brain is focused on what it is doing, what it needs to do, what it has done, what it might, you know, all of the stuff that is busy. Okay. And so the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which is much more daydreaming and hypothesizing and, you know, that kind of stuff is kind of offline. These two operate. There's an anti-correlation. If one is operating, the other one is not. Okay. Okay. So the busier you are, the more you're using your dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Okay, so when you're a child and you're footloose, carefree, all that, it's what you have of your ventromedial is, oh, look at this. It's all wonderment. It's all new. It's all absorbing new things. You have not been calibrated yet to determine what is real and what is not. Yes. And so, you know, if you're, if I'm five years old and I'm sitting in a room and I'm talking to you, but, you know, Chester, the six foot bunny rabbit is sitting in that chair, I have not been calibrated yet to be like, oh, wait, Chester's not real. 
And Chester might be real. It just might be a manifestation of something. We don't know. Yeah. I just think it's the height of arrogance to say, one, well, aliens don't exist, you know, and two, that other things that are other dimensional don't exist. Right. You know, it's kind of like saying, for me, it's like, you know, well, you know, I don't, you know, it's like, you know, I have lime repellent on. I'm like, well, how do you know you have lime repellent on? Because like, I haven't seen any lions today. <laughs> you know, prove me wrong. You know, but it's it's just a thing where it's like, we don't know. And I think that's where a lot of people get very uncomfortable with is we don't, my entire counseling practice is focusing on taking people from, because with mental illness, let's say, you know, well, you have a chemical imbalance. Okay, which one, what is it, where is it? You know, well, that's very complicated and very, it's like, no, I just take it and make it simple. I take people out of, I don't know, and say, here's what I know, here's the information I have, here, you take this and run with it, and it makes a lot of sense. And like, okay, I feel better because I know now. Yeah. People don't like to ever have the phrase, I don't know. And scientists really hate the phrase, I don't know. You know, if you read up on uh, uh, Ignaz Samuelweis from the 1850s where he came up with hand washing and they threw him in an insane asylum because it is insane to assume that doctors' hands could possibly carry germs. Yeah, and so thousands and thousands of people died because the arrogance of doctors who refused to say, I don't know. Or refused to say, what I do know is wrong. Because what he was, he was trying to, it was in a, a maternity hospital. Yes. And they would, you know, mess around with cadavers and they go deliver babies. And these babies were dying at like 25% and the mothers. Yeah. And Ignaz is like, hey, here's some lye soap. Let's wash our hands. And the doctors were so insulted that he implied that their hands were bringing death. They threw him in a mental institution and he was killed a week later by the staff. Oh, my God. <laughs> so they were so ingrained in their dogma that they were God that they killed him. And then 20 years later, Louis Pasteur's like, hey, Ignaz was right. Here, look at this microscope. You know? <laughs> and so... Hey, Leonardo da Vinci, you're allowed back in the church. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Remember that Copernicus guy? Yeah, well, all right, so we screwed that up. You know, but yeah, people really hate admitting they're wrong. Yeah. And if their paradigm is... I am a quantumly attached person where if it is not in this space and time, I don't believe it exists. They're going to have a very difficult time. And it's just like, put down the arrogance. I don't, I, I know a lot of things. I got two master's degrees of, you know, when, you know <laughs> Mensa. Mensa member. You know, I worked for the Jet Propulsion Lab. I'm real freaking smart. Yep. And what I do know is that there's a whole lot of stuff I don't know. But I know that when I'm sitting in my living room and my dog is growling at the wall and I don't see what she's growling at, I'm taking her seriously because there's something there. And so. Mr. Dunning, how are we on time? Oh, yeah, over. Are we okay? <laughs> We're fine. I don't have a three. I have a couple more questions. Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, hypnotherapy? Yes. Have you ever studied hypnotherapy? No, not really. I've studied it in a cursory, I'm curious what it is, but not actually doing it. Okay. Yeah. How, have you ever been hypnotized? No. Okay. Can you explain to me the primary differences between hypnosis and ART? Because a lot of people just look at it and see the Jedi mind trick hand waving and they kind of assume that you're hypnotizing someone. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, hypnosis is I am hypnosis is a thing where I am guiding you into a thing. I'm guiding you into relaxation. I'm guiding you. And so the, the bilateral stimulation of moving the hand back and forth releases acetylcholine in the brain. Okay, so if you're being hypnotized, you know, it's like very relaxed. It's all of that kind of thing. Um, ART is you are telling me I want to address this particular thing in my life. And, and so the similarity is the repressed memories are the same either way. 
The difference is you and I are walking in together with ART. We're going back to you know, 2003 when this traumatic thing happened. We're looking around, we're going through the whole room, and then we're also looking at it as you are driving this whole scenario. So that's the difference is with hypnosis, I'm, it's not targeted, it's more random. But with ART, it's like, I want to go back to this date on this event and process this trauma and go and rewrite the memory to where it looks a little bit different and it's less traumatic. So it's much more targeted. Right. And I've also read that hypnosis, even at its best, is temporary. Yeah. Whereas, you know, actually doing ART sessions and the eye movement following through these scenarios actually has much longer and scientifically proven benefits than hypnosis. Correct. And it's it really is because we are very specifically going into the attic of your brain and pulling out a specific box and sorting through that box. And we're doing as much time as it takes. So we're like, okay, we need to sort through this thing. And then the, you know, you know when a trauma happens, the, the you know, basically the tree of your life or the, the, your timeline is altered. We go back to where that alteration occurred and address that moment. You know, it's very much like Star Trek. You go back and change the timeline. It's just emotionally, if you are hypervigilant because you were attacked when you were 12, if we take away the trauma from the attack of being 12, we take away the hypervigilance. Yes. You know it still happened. You know when it happened. You know all the facts. It's just you don't have the emotional trigger anymore. Right. And a lot of my experiencers do have hypervigilance. Yeah. Along with whatever this extra sensory thing might be from that rewiring. Well, and one of the great benefits of art that I've used it several times is I can take somebody who was invalidated and make them feel validated. Right. They get the closure. So, because a lot of the you know, the experiencer and the mental health, the trauma is not the actual event. It's the invalidation that comes afterwards. That didn't happen. I don't believe you. Oh, you're crazy. Oh, it's, you know, that, that is frustrating. You're like, this thing happened. No, it didn't. You know, and that's the trauma. And right. so if we can take it like, you know, where somebody, we re, kind of wire it. We're like, yes, we believe you. Yes, that actually happened. And nobody's going to change what happened. If you have a trauma, I can't change the trauma, yeah. but I can change how your hippocampus reacts to it. Right. Yeah. That and that's sense. all we're doing. And we're really just taking it out of emotion and putting it into information. But nothing is forgotten. It's just no longer the emotional reaction to the to the trigger is no longer there. Because the hippocampus is a very, very basic database. If you were attacked by a dog, your hippocampus dog's bad. It could be you could know I was attacked by, you know, a German Shepherd mix on this day at this time and it was at this house. Your hippocampus doesn't care. Yeah. You know, you were bit by a dog. Dog's bad. Correct. Yeah. So, um, I'm a pretty long-term and I'm, yeah. I'm extremely intelligent, but yes. it's to my detriment. <laughs> yes. yes. That I have been labeled a uh, combative patient. I have been labeled resistant. When in reality, I just made very educated questions mm-hmm. and I don't think that they wanted to answer them. It's much easier to treat a dumb patient and give them a pill and say, this will make you feel all better. Yeah. So, I've had several bouts of cognitive behavioral therapy. I've had several bouts of prolonged exposure therapy, um, which over time I feel cognitive behavioral therapy works. It's grueling and it's a lot of work. But ART was something I tried um, based on the recommendation of a very dear colleague and friend of mine. And I'm curious as to your perspective. I know that I like it a lot better, but why do you like it a lot better versus the other evidence-based treatments? Well, I like ART because it can get you know, if the trauma is severe enough, cognitive behavioral therapy, if you rewrite it as 
Cognitive is prefrontal cortex, behavioral is hippocampus. Okay, that's what it is. We're trying to get the prefrontal cortex to convince the hippocampus there's no danger. Right. Okay, I mean that it works over an extended period of time. But if I can get straight to the hippocampus and say, look, here's what happened, here's the event, here's why you are no longer in danger now, and the hippocampus is like, oh, okay. In an hour, I can erase a year worth of cognitive behavioral therapy. And if the trauma is so egregious, as soon as you even think about the trauma, your hippocampus is going to shut off. Right. Because your hippocampus will be like, nope, we're not doing this. Yeah. And I've, so, seen, I've seen that blank <laughs> stare many a time. And so when I'm doing the ART and the acetylcholine and the, the sedation that goes on naturally in the brain calms everything down, the hippocampus is like, I'm not super excited about this, but I'm willing to have a discussion. And so when we do ART, we do a scale at the beginning, one to 10. Eight, nine, and 10 on that scale are in red. The reason they're in red, I think, is because you cognitive behavioral therapy won't do anything if you're in that deep of trauma. Correct, which is why I was with you, because right. it's, it's irresponsible to do cognitive behavioral therapy when people are in the red. It can lead yeah. to more damage. Yeah, you're just retraum. If I'm having you relive a traumatic experience over and over and over again, I'm just punching you on a bruise every week. Yeah. You're never going, but if I can take that bruise and be like, okay, here, let's do some, you know, so I'm, I like to think of it like a mental chiropractor. Right. You know, you're out of adjustment when you've had trauma. Great. We come in here, we do ART. Your brain has an incredible ability to heal itself. That's why when we do ART, I don't give cues. Yeah. I'm like, what is your brain coming up with now? And your world, it comes up, and our brains come up with amazing stuff. I, you know, there's one I did recently where um, the lady had been traumatized by her father when she was younger. You know, there's this part in there where we take all the old trauma and basically put it into a pile. And I was like, okay, now get rid of the pile. And her, what her brain came up with was at the end of a Game of Thrones where the dragon's flying around and torching the castle and just flying in circles. So she didn't just burn the pile. She brought in a dragon to <laughs> burn all of it. I remember uh, I was struggling quite deeply caring for my daughter. And you yeah. said, well, what does that feel like? And I said that it's like I'm drowning in the middle of the ocean and I'm trying to hold a six-year-old above my head. And you were like, wow, okay. <laughs> but, what, but, but can we talk about what happened after? Yeah, and then you said, well, what, what do you think would help you out of that situation? And I was like, I want a Disney cruise to rescue us. I want a Disney cruise to rescue us. I want to have frilly drinks. I want to have free Disney cruises for life. I want my daughter in a pool playing and happy and I'm lounging on a chair. Yeah. And you're like... That's way better than anything I could have ever come up with. <laughs> and so, and that was what stuck in your head afterwards. Yeah. That's the memory you had. Nothing changed. You were never in the ocean. Right. But the feeling, we manifested it physically as you floating in the ocean and almost drowning. And then we manifested a rescue. None of it happened. Yeah. But you can picture the cruise ship, the drinks, your daughter. You can picture all of those things. Yeah. Nothing changed except your perspective. Right. And that's... Perception is reality. But that's what the hippocampus is, is it's scanning the horizon for danger, and all you were seeing was danger, and you're like, no, I got this. I'm okay. Calm things down for a little while. And, and I, I realize as a person that I'm, I'm currently in the process of a kind of a break from my yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy, that I'm in a period of um, recovery. I'm in a period of bringing myself down from that red zone, which is why I was referring to yeah. the And I'm really glad that I am, because this has been immensely beneficial uh, obviously one of my more favorite forms of therapy you know yeah. you're awesome um but i just think it's it's good to realize that we have limits absolutely and and i like to think of it as attributes 
Yeah. Okay. You are perfect as you are. You are the most perfect Nikita walking the planet as you because you are unique. There's only one of you. There's yeah. only one of me. I'm perfect. Lumi's perfect. Everybody's perfect. Everybody is perfect as they are. It's finding where they fit into the orchestra that is humanity. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we have... We have attributes that are, you know, I'll say positive. I don't even like to use positive and negative. But there are things, um, you know, I was a very, very successful IT engineer for large corporations for years. The anxiety and the stress of managing 100,000 user environments became more than I could handle. All right, I'm not broken. I'm not, it's just, okay, I could handle that for a period of time. The stress got to be too much. Okay, so I do some computer work in smaller environments. But... It doesn't mean I'm broken or I have huge problems. It just that's a limitation that I have. And you and I had very similar upbringings, whereas, you know, shame versus guilt, we were constantly spoon-fed shame that there's something wrong with you, not you did something wrong. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's the easiest equivalent is you're, what, 5'5"? Yeah. Right. I'm six foot. There are things I can reach that you can't. Right. Does that make me better than you? Clearly, it's my fault. It is your fault. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) You know, and it's just, these are just attributes of who we are. You know, I have a sensitivity to depression and anxiety. So as that, I will just do things that reduce my exposure to things that make me depressed or anxious. You know, as an experiencer, that is the most scary thing I can imagine because you can't do that. You can't control when your experience will happen or where because it's outside of four-dimensional space. You don't know when or where it's going to happen, and these things can penetrate walls. Like, and who cares if it's an imagination or not? If it scares you, it scares you. I personally believe those things actually exist, and there's like just times where our brains work right, or the just you know whatever it happens to be, the stars align where we see a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember it was 2002. I was standing in my house in uh, live, not live oak. Uh, oh God, it was up north of Denton. Uh, had a house up there. And I'm standing in the living room, nothing, and I just hear somebody yell, Oy vey, in my house. Yes. There was nobody in my house. Okay, you can tell me all day long it didn't happen. I don't care. Somebody, there's no lead up to that. There's no, it just happened. And I'm like, okay, freaked me out a little bit. Probably didn't sleep all that well that night, but it just, it is. There's things that we don't know about. Right, which is why we, we as in me, as I encourage them to, you know, go to therapy and to talk about these things and to alleviate their stress in ways that they can control because a lot of the time the negative things that they're experiencing feed off of the increased stress and the increased anxiety and the increased misery of these experiences. Well, and that's an excellent point I want to bring up. So what a lot of people don't understand and what cognitive behavioral therapy has a weakness in is that a lot of times the, our emotional brain will generate thoughts. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, yes, you are correct. If you are more anxious and more highly strung, you are more susceptible to see things that you don't want to see. Yes. Because your hypervigilance is up. So it is a self-fulfilling, self-perpetuating type of thing. Is if, that what they talk about, a self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah. 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 It's okay. like, you know, if I tell you, you know, it's like, you know, hey, somebody, you know, look at all the, you know, Nissan Altimas you can for the rest of the day, right? You didn't notice Nissan Altimas, but now you're going to see nothing but Nissan Altimas for the next 24 hours. Right. Because your brain is like, Okay, but, you know, and so, yeah, if you are more predisposed to, now, am I saying that the experience follows that? No, but I am saying that the, your brain, if it is stressed and preparing and afraid of it, will start manifesting negative thoughts and negative cognitions that 
kind of, you know, it's like, oh, well, nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. I don't like, you know, it's just this, your brain will start generating negative thoughts. The biggest one I see out there, which is completely random, is especially with younger people, if they're online and they reach out to somebody or post something and nobody replies, they're not thinking everybody's busy. They're thinking nobody loves me. What did I do? What's going on? What's, you know, immediately their brain starts reaching for, and it's always negative. Yes. And so that's the self-fulfilling prophecy is that say a person who posts online and then nobody replies and then they just flame everybody online. You all suck. You're all horrible people. And then nobody replies. There's your self-fulfilling prophecy. So what was the weakness in cognitive therapy? It is that a lot of people don't understand that cognitions come from an emotional thing. So if you are anxious, your brain will start generating random scenarios that aren't real and aren't realistic, but they seem realistic to your brain. Okay. And that is the anxiety generates the thought. Cognitive behavioral is the thought generates the feeling. Okay. But this is actually the opposite is if you are anxious, you are going to have negative cognitions. So when you go to a cognitive behavioral therapist, they're like, you're anxious because of the cognitions. It's like, no, the cognitions are because I'm anxious. Correct. So you treat the anxiety, not the cognition, and then you get rid of the cognition. And your emotion affects your thoughts, and your thoughts affect your behavior, and so on and so forth. And then you get into something called, where is it? The, I have it here on my little thing. It is the hypothalamal pituitary adrenal axis. The what? <laughs> HPA axis. HPA axis. Hypothalamal pituitary adrenal axis. So what that is, is you have anxiety. It generates a negative thought. The negative thought goes down to your adrenals and generates anxiety. The anxiety generates another negative thought and you just get caught in a circle. Yeah. So if you cut the anxiety, you stop the negative thought. But a lot of counselors go for the thought, not the anxiety. So that's why when you come in and you're, you know, or anybody comes in and they're their anxiety is through the roof and they're not thinking straight, then we do something to treat the anxiety, not the actual thought. That is so true. Why are we so backwards about that? Like, oh, you're anxious? Well, what's going on? What happened today? Exactly. Whereas I'm like, hey, let's treat the anxiety and then the thoughts go away. Yeah. Now, the flip side is, (laughs) now it's not always true, obviously. You know, it's like, hey, I had a fight with my wife and that is gender. Okay, great. Well, that's a different scenario. But if it's, perpetual constant well let's treat the anxiety but thank you so much mr dunning for yes i'm and for answering my questions and uh do you have a website or an email address yes so the denningcenter.com or jim at the denningcenter.com if you want awesome thank you so much and if sirs if anybody who is an experience or wants somebody who will listen to be like yeah that happened i'm that guy or i will find you that person because i'm not going to invalidate somebody if they say this thing happened it happened and as N.K. Granda, neither will I. I will not invalidate you. And if I can't help you, I always try to find someone like you. I love how you set this up, that it's going to be fun and irregular and jaunty. And then you just get so deep and philosophical and all this personal growth. And I'm sitting over here like, dude, I'm still wearing leggings. And it's it's not even the weekend anymore, be. really. But you're not in pajamas. I'm not in pajamas. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and they know full well that I ramble. You do. So that's okay. We will cope. We will cope. And you will sarcast and I shall ramble. You're not going to podcast while I sarcast? Uh, we will, there's always podcast while you sarcast. Got it. Yes. Uh, the, all the best podcasts have are sarcasts.
A further warning to uh, any podcasters that want me on in the future, that if you make a plan, I will do everything I can to unintentionally derail it <laughs> and to add more content that you weren't even expecting, where Ryan has to lock himself in his office for an hour and come out blinking in the daylight going, wow, that was a lot. Yep. Well, and and, and that's that's not entirely tr- true. I, I, I did throw everything away and we started from scratch. But it's but but we're better for it. 